At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Jesus says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be in grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that house will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and for your word. And as we desire to know when the Son will return, Lord, we would be changed and corrected even to say not when, but how should we be ready? So help us, Lord, this morning to see that. Help us to be people who are ready for the coming of Christ again in his glory and power. Help us to be vigilant and watchful. I pray, Father, that, that your word today would be used by your spirit in our lives, that you would help us grow up in Christ and be more like him. Would we, would we give ourselves to you now? So I pray, Father, that you would strengthen me as I preach, that you would work among us as we listen, and Lord, may we hear your voice today. Might you shape us for your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, amen be seated. Have you ever been caught off guard or unprepared before? Maybe, maybe not ready for an event that, that maybe you should have been or, or you thought you would be, but, but you weren't at all? And sometimes this is a really good thing. Like if, if someone is throwing you a surprise party, to be caught off guard or to be unaware means that the person throwing the party did their job and nobody leaked the news of the party and you were honored because of the surprise. You were, you were blessed by that. Other times not being prepared isn't so good though, right? It's, it's a disaster, uh, in 2011, there was a major earthquake off the northern coast of Japan. It was one of the most powerful in their history. 
The earthquake set off a chain reactions of tsunami waves that pounded the coast and, and ended up killing over 200, uh, 25,000 people, and it caused a major nuclear power plant disaster. You may remember this in the news. While the sudden nature of that event could not have been predicted, many studies found, in looking back, that Japanese leaders ignored many safety warnings about building nuclear power plants close to seismic fault lines. They, they were warned, don't do that, that's not wise. The destruction and the loss of life there and the devastation that almost amounted to a huge nuclear accident could have been avoided if the leadership in Japan had been prepared. One report states that the Japanese had become complacent about tsunamis. Earthquakes happen all the time, tsunamis happen all the time, and they, be, they were overconfident about the measures supposedly in place to protect them. And, and I quote this report here, quote, although there had been many recent earthquakes, there had not been a deadly large tsunami since 1933, and people forgot. The lack of readiness and complacency cost many lives. Which leads me to ask you a question this morning. Is there an event you are unprepared for? Not a surprise party, but a greater event, a historic event that will shake the world. We're in this series called What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. And we've been looking at Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24 and 25. It's known as the Olivet Discourse. This discourse, this teaching of Jesus, came as a result of Jesus telling the disciples that every stone on the temple building would be thrown down. One would not stand on top of the other. And in the, in the disciples' minds, when they heard Jesus describe that, that to them meant the end of the world. Like, everything is over when that event happens. And so they inquired. They asked Jesus, well, tell us, when will this happen? Tell us when one stone will not stand upon another. And tell us then, because in their minds it was one singular event, when will be the sign of your coming? When will we know you're coming back again? And so Jesus began to teach them. He told them in verses 5 through 35, and this is just a recap of the last several weeks, Jesus told them in verses 5 through 35 that the event of the destruction of the temple would occur. He gives them, he gives them a little bit of a, a when. Here's some signs that you can see of when this temple, mount, this temple building will be destroyed. And it was a near future event for them. Some 30 or 40 years in their future, they would see the temple fall. Jesus had even said to them in verse 34, "'Truly I say to you, this generation,' meaning them listening right there, Jesus' original audience. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And that happened. Jesus probably said these words around 30 AD and then 70 AD, 40 years later, Rome sacks Jerusalem, lay siege to the city, they break in, they destroy the temple, and in the way that they destroy the temple, one stone was not left upon another. But Jesus' disciples had another question. They, they were putting the two events together. When will the temple be destroyed and when will you come again? And so Jesus doesn't just leave them hanging about the second answer. He wants to discuss with them and teach them about his second coming. Or, or the Greek term is the parousia. It's a technical term to describe the return of the Son of Man, the return of Christ again. It's the one used in the New Testament. And so Jesus continues to teach, that's where we go now, to talk about the destruction of the temple, but more so to talk about the parousia, the second coming of Christ. In our passage today, Jesus begins to tell them, but he's not going to talk about when he would come again, he's going to prepare them to be ready for when he comes again. 
And that's the question that Jesus wants us all to consider. Are you ready? Are you ready for Christ to come again? The final event of human history, when the Son of Man comes again and he judges the living and the dead and makes all things new, are you ready for that day to come? Are you ready for when Jesus comes again, living in light of his second coming? You might ask the question, well, how do we get ready? How do we live with a proper perspective now and an urgency today to be ready for the second coming of Christ? Well, I want to show us this morning two ways that we are made ready for Jesus to come again, two ways that he speaks of this for us to know and to walk in his ways today. The first one is this, is for us to be prepared. One of the ways that you are ready for someone's coming, you're ready for an unexpected event, is to actually be prepared for that event. To be ready for the second coming of Jesus means that we must be prepared for his coming. What does that look like? Well, read with me at verse 36. Our inclination, as was the disciples, so this is just kind of human inclination, is to focus on when he comes again, not necessarily how we should be ready. So Jesus wants to begin by talking about when. He's going to tell us when he's going to come again, right? The answer is in verse 36. Read with me here. But concerning that day and that hour, the second coming, the parousia, no one knows. Shocker, right? Wait, what? No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So Jesus helps us when he talks about when he's going to come again. No one knows. The angels don't know. The Son of God doesn't know. There's one being in the universe who knows when the Son of Man will come again, the Father. That's it. Only the Father knows. So, so let me be explicitly clear, as Jesus is clear. No one knows. No, say this with me. No one knows. Okay, turn to your neighbor and tell them. No one knows, right? No one knows when the Son of Man is coming again. And we, we, we oh, yes, we know that's there, but we're, we're smart, right? Like, we like to speculate about that. We've got it figured out. We can do the science. Like, we're, we're going to break the Bible code and figure this out. No, no, stop that. It's foolishness. No one knows when the second coming is. You might say, well, whoa, whoa, time out, Pastor. Okay, how can, how can Jesus not know, right? Isn't he God? Isn't he all-knowing? Isn't that one of his attributes, that he's omniscient? He knows everything? Well, if this, can, if, this is, if this is what Jesus says, and if it feels like a conundrum, it, it, we might express it in this way, that Jesus in his full and true humanity voluntarily limited the independent exercise of his divine attributes. Jesus is fully and truly God, and he became fully and truly human. And in his full and true humanity, he voluntarily limited the use, the independent use, of his divine attributes. It's no contradiction that in his humanity he lived and voluntarily held back or, or did not use all of his divine attributes. Daniel Dorani put it this way. He said, if Jesus had constantly exercised his divine attributes, he would not have led a genuine human life. If he endured no human limitations, his incarnation was a charade. If the crucifixion caused Jesus no real pain, how could he suffer for us? If no bodily desires touched Jesus, 
How can the scripture say that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin? So Jesus truly did not know when he would return. He did not need to know, nor do we. Jesus finished his work, and he's ready to return again. But no one knows. So, so let's just get that into our minds first and foremost. No one knows the day, the hour. No one knows, not the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. That knowledge is kept exclusively for the Father in heaven. But Jesus wants us not just to worry about when. He wants us to know how to be ready for when that day comes. So he gives an illustration about the nature, what it will be like when the second coming occurs. And the way Jesus describes it is this, it is sudden and unexpected. In verses 37 through 41, he compares his coming, the coming of the Son of Man, this parousia, with the flood of Noah's days. Look with me at what he says. He says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's the comparison. For as in those days, so now he talks about what was happening in Noah's day. In Noah's days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Life was going on as normal, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. It was kind of like, hey, life is moving forward. No thought to something greater happening. No thought that anything destructive or justice might come upon them. It was just, hey, everybody keep doing the way, the things you're doing, the way you're doing them. Don't worry about it. That is until Noah entered the ark. And then the flood, God's judgment, came suddenly and unexpectedly. They were unaware, is what verse 39 says, until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And what's important to note here is that Jesus is likening his second coming to the coming of the flood from the perspective of the unrighteous or the unbelievers, right? Jesus is telling his followers that for those to whom they are not ready and paying attention, his coming will be like the judgment, like the flood, swift and it will end in their doom. For the unrepentant, the non-Christian, Jesus' day, his coming, will sweep them away to judgment. So don't just live your best life now. Don't say, hey, you only live once and just go on, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. The Son of Man is going to come, and his coming will be unexpected. But if you know Christ, you can be ready for it. You can be prepared Jesus extends the illustration in verses 40 and 41. He says, Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one will be left. Now, this teaching isn't a teaching about a rapture to take away to glory. The Son of Man will be coming. Jesus is speaking about the coming in the perspective of unbelievers. And he's saying his coming will be such that there will be a taken away to judgment. They will take them off guard. They'll be working, and the one will be gone, swept away to judgment. So Jesus says in verse 42, stay awake because you don't know, there it is again, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Just be alert spiritually. Don't be taken to judgment unaware and unexpectedly. The, the phrase stay awake could be translated watch therefore. Have your eyes open. Be prepared. It's in the present tense. Keep watching moment after moment after moment. Be ready. Be prepared. To drive home the point, Jesus gives another illustration in verse 43. He says, but know this, 
that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, would not have let his house be broken into. Just, just put it into our context today. If you know when someone's going to break into your house and steal your stuff, you're not going to go to bed and fall asleep, right? You're going to have the lights on. You're going to home alone it. You're going to have the booby traps set out. You're going to be ready for them to show up, and you're going to catch them. You're not going to be taken off guard. Jesus says, you also, therefore, verse 44, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. There it is one more time. Jesus is just drilling it into our hearts, right? You don't know the time, so be ready, be prepared. Don't slumber in this world and in drunkenness and darkness and in the things of this world, but stay awake, be ready, because we don't know the timing. If you've ever had a friend or family, just, family member just kind of show up at your house unexpectedly, you know what this can be like, right? They show up and, and perhaps your house is a little bit of a mess, you're embarrassed by that, you're like, oh my goodness. If you had only known, you would have prepared better. You'd maybe clean the house, put the dishes away. They were close. You're like, hey, I'm going to have a meal ready for you when you arrive. Dessert might be on the table. Here's the point that Jesus is making for us. Be ready. Be prepared. Stay alert. How do we do that? How do we stay alert? How are we prepared for his coming? Well, let me tell you how we don't get ready, okay? You don't get ready by following conspiracy theories and charting out supposed end time dates and mapping out when this thing will happen or that thing may not happen in Jerusalem and start making predictions. I mean, don't be arrogant, right? Like some of the false teachers and liars will say. I've heard people take this verse, verse 36, and say, well, well, Jesus said we didn't know the day or the hour, but he didn't say we couldn't know the month or the year. Friends, that's just flat out arrogant. And false teachers love to run in that thing. It's speculation. It's even blasphemy to think that you can know more than the Son of God. If you're watching that kind of stuff on TV or listening to YouTube prophets that, that pander in this kind of stuff, or you're after the, evan or the Instagram evangelist, stop. You're being led astray. You're devoting yourself to myths. Jesus says, no one knows so quit wasting your time, your one precious life, reading badly written novels that get you amped up in worry and fear and take the spotlight off of Jesus. Get rid of those things. Quit trying to figure out what the mark of the beast is, whether your credit card chip has it or the medical community has it. Stop that foolishness. Look to the Word of God. Look to Christ. No one knows. So be prepared. What does it mean for us to be prepared? Christ wants us to be ready by our watching for Him. And here's how the Bible talks about that. Being prepared looks like honoring Christ through our actions of love, our devotion to His gospel, to sharing the good news with the nations. That's what being prepared looks like, being on mission. Being prepared means standing firm in the faith, 1 Corinthians 6, 13. Being prepared means continuing steadfastly in prayer, Colossians 4, verse 2. Being prepared means being sober-minded, 1 Peter 5, 8. Being prepared means we should be ready for every good work, Titus 3, verse 1. The active Christian life of following Jesus, 
keeping our eyes on him and eagerly awaiting his return is what is in mind here and what we're called to be prepared for. J.C. Ryle put it this way. He said, true Christians ought to live like watchmen. The day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So we should strive to be always on our guard. We should behave like the, the watchman or the sentinel of an army in an enemy's land. We should resolve by God's grace not to sleep at our post. So how are we ready? First of all, we, we must be prepared. We must expect and be ready. Live lives of sober-mindedness, good deeds, love, because Jesus is coming again, and we don't know when. But not only should we be ready by being prepared, we should be ready by being faithful. By being faithful. Look with me at verses 45 to 51. Again, Jesus makes a comparison. He gives two illustrations. One is the positive and one is to the negative. The first illustration of verse 45 is of someone who is prepared and ready. Jesus takes us into a household here and he introduces us to a faithful and wise servant. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant who his master has set over his household? I, I think of Mr. Carson from the Masterpiece Theater series, Downton Abbey. And yes, I love that. Mr. Carson, right? He was the butler of the estate and the he was over, really over the entire household of the Grantham family. He possessed oversight over everything. He wanted the family to be honored and respected. But Jesus asked a question, and he, and he puts us in that seat, right? Who, so who is the wise and faithful servant? We've been given responsibility over the church of God. We've been given responsibility in this life to honor God in all things. So how do we do that? Are we wise? Are we faithful? Now, here's Here's where there is not calculus, okay? Who is the wise and faithful servant who his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time to take care of the household? It's the servant who does his job, right? The one who does what he has been called to do. Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. He's taking care of the household. He's being faithful to his master. He's being wise with what his master has given. That's it. Again, not calculus here. Being prepared, being ready, being faithful means doing what Christ has called us to be. In fact, that servant in verse 46 is called blessed. It's another term for, for happy or honored by God. In fact, this is another beatitude in the book of Matthew. Jonathan Pennington says, the faithful follower of Jesus will experience abundance of life and flourishing as a result of their wisdom. The servant, is not just, the servant will experience blessing and flourishing, but also, Jesus says, he'll be given greater responsibility and trust, verse 47. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So be faithful. Be wise. Do what the Lord has called you to do. Honor Him. Love His Word. Love His people. Live lives of righteous, holy humility. Do what you were called to do. Take care of the household of God. That's the positive illustration, but the second illustration is the negative one. Jesus says in verse 48, but if that wicked servant, so now He turns it, says, okay, there's been a faithful and wise servant, but now there's a wicked servant. If that wicked servant says to himself, Oh, my master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. 
Now here he just turns it around. He's like, okay, the servant now is wicked. And what is he doing? Well, he just pretends that the master isn't coming back. He's delayed. He's not going to show up. And if he doesn't show up, well, I can just do whatever I want. I can live however I want. It doesn't matter. I'm the master now. And he begins with his actions to be ignorant of the master altogether. He begins to beat and mistreat his fellow servants. Here Jesus is warning us about how we care for one another in the church, in the household. He begins to beat and mistreat his fellow servants. He goes out and gets drunk and begins to bring ruin to the reputation of the household and the master. What will happen to him? The master of that servant, verse 50, will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know. The wicked servant is living just his, his best life now. He only lived once. No, no knowledge of the master at all. He's completely, completely ignorant of the master. He's a functional atheist. The master doesn't exist. He's going about doing his thing however he wants it. And of course he'll be surprised when the master shows up. Of course he'll be stunned. Oh, whoops, there he is. The master will come when he doesn't expect, in an hour he doesn't know. He never saw him coming. Now, Jesus takes this illustration to a shocking conclusion in verse 51. He, in, in setting up this illustration, he takes a bucket of cold water of reality and splashes our faces with it, just to jar us there. Jesus wants to shock you and me into response. If you've got a wicked employee, somebody who's just lazy, they're not doing their job at the right time, what do you do? You just fire them. You say, you're out, no more. But Jesus brings it into the realm of our lives. That master will come when he doesn't know, when he doesn't expect, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus wants us to see the reality of this. The servant is dismembered. He's numbered with the hypocrites, which in Matthew's gospel is the, the most heinous, the most wicked of sins. And he's cast into a place of eternal conscious torment. That is to say, Jesus takes the illustration of the wicked servant into reality and states the one who is not living in accordance to Jesus' word will suffer eternity in hell. It's not an illustration. It's reality. The one who is not prepared for his coming, the one who is not ready, is living as an enemy of Jesus, and they will suffer the fate of those who are enemies of Jesus. Is that you? Is that how you are living? Do you, do you just ignore that the master will return again? And so you think, I can just treat people however I'd like? I can treat the church however I want. I can, I can bring dishonor to his name. You only live once, so I'm going to live in immorality and debauchery and drunkenness. We have to take Jesus' warning at face value here. If that's how you're living, your end will not be blessing. So how do we respond? Jesus says these things to prepare us. This is, a, this is a word of grace for us. Jesus spoke these things to say to his disciples and to you and to me today, get ready, I'm coming again. Power and victory and glory. 
Jesus calls us, his people, to faithfulness here. We are to be children of light, living in obedience to his word, honoring him as our master in everything, because we don't know when he will return. And we shouldn't try and figure it out because no one's going to get it. We should be laboring now to make much of the name of Jesus. We should be laboring now to grow in him and to honor him in all things, to repent of our sin and to lay down our pride, to love and honor and respect one another. To be faithful is to believe Jesus' words and it is to obey his commands. Faithfulness is a life of wisdom that is wholehearted devotion to Jesus. It is the long obedience in the same direction saying day after day after day after day, I'm going to trust Christ. I'm going to seek to honor him. And when I fail, I'm going to repent and believe the good news that Christ has paid for all of my sins. And I'm going to keep marching on because he's coming again. I want to be, and I know you want to as well, we want to be the faithful and the wise servant who receives the blessing of God that is coming again. So the, the sudden and shocking nature of the conclusion of this chapter of chapter 24 should give us pause. Are we faithful? Are we wise? Are we prepared and ready? Or are you living like someone who doesn't think anything's going to change? Are you living like the wicked servant who doesn't care how you live before the master returns? Friends, this is a call for us to examine the way we live now because how we live now speaks about how ready we are for the day, that sudden day, that unexpected day when Christ will come again. And friends, I love you. I don't want you to be unprepared. Jesus is coming again. You can bank on that. Today is the day for you and I to turn from our sin, our sloth, our drunkenness, our greed, our pride, our hatred, and to believe the gospel. That Jesus has come once, that he lived this perfect sinless life that we could not, that he fulfilled righteousness in every way, that Jesus has stood in our place. He has gone to the cross for you and for me, and he died sacrificially for our sins. And that Jesus was raised to life again on the third day, defeating Satan's sin and death. And Jesus is coming again. You can bank on it. He is coming to judge the living and the dead. And he will make all things new, and he will make all things right. Are you ready for that day? Are you prepared? Are you faithful? Have you turned from your sin and believed the good news of Jesus? and being transformed by the Holy Spirit to be more and more like Christ. I know it's March 7th, but I think a New Year's resolution is in order. Jonathan Edwards gives us the language for this. It's one of his famous resolutions he wrote when he was in his 20s. And may we take it up for our own lives and be ready for Jesus to come again, whether that day is today, whether it's 20 years from now, whether it's beyond our lifetime, he will come again. So may we take up the resolution resolved never to do anything 
which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I hear the last trump. Amen. Let's be ready. Let's be faithful. Let's be prepared. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are coming again. Power and glory and vindication. You will take your people to yourself. You will judge the nations. You will make all things new. So Lord, may we not get tied up in speculating on when. May we get busy about being ready for your return. May our lives be filled with watchfulness and prayer and love and mission because you are the only hope of the world. Thank you for your grace in this word in preparing us. May your spirit take it and work within us. Ready us more and more for that day, that glorious day when we will see Jesus face to face. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.